Um, don't know about you, but I've been watching way too much TV lately. Yeah, I've been watching the, um, uh, the Olympics and enjoying that. And, uh, and it's the commercials. Have you seen these commercials by Farmers Insurance called Hall of Claims? As if a docent is walking you through a museum and there you, they have on display all these weird things that have ever happened in the history of their insurance company and weird claims that come in. So uh, lately I've been seeing this one over and over where the, this guy, says, uh, uh, tells a story about a red hot mascot in on a parade, sitting in a red convertible in a parade. And, you know, he has this outfit on that uh, flaming head and fingers and all that. And people are saying, oh, you're on fire. Yeah, that's right. I'm on fire. Like mascots do. No, 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 you're on fire. Yeah, I'm really on fire. And finally, when someone says, no, you're on fire, and then you see smoke and flames coming out of the engine compartment of the rear of this red convertible, and he tumbles out of the car, and so on and so forth. And the, the, the last line always is this, the state farm, I mean, the, the farmer's insurance guy saying, we know a lot of things because we've seen a lot of things. As if to say, you need us. We have so much experience with all kinds of things. We can solve your problems. All right, so that's the commercial. But I've been thinking about the red hot mascot guy with his head on fire. I'm on fire, yeah, I sure am. And just asking the question, when was the last time I was on fire in, in, in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. When was the last time you were on fire? Are people saying to you, hey, you're on fire? In fact, uh, when you think back of the early church, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, I don't know if it looked like this, but you know, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming like flames of fire and setting them on fire. And it just begs the question, are we on fire? W what does it take? And then I was reading Paul's, probably his last letter, the one he sent to Timothy. We call it Second Timothy. And uh, there's a few words that stick in my mind. Fan the flames. Fan the flames. So some time ago, I went back to reread that chapter and to zero in on that verse. And I realized I'm not quoting it right. It doesn't say fan the flames. Similar but different. And then looking into the history of that singular word. It's translated in three words, but it's really just one word. And uh, though different versions translate it differently, what we have in the NIV is actually a very good translation of that one word. It's not fan the flames. It is fan into flame.
There's a difference. Fan into flame. And this is Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, which I want you to get out your Bible now. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it's on page 1850 in the version that we have here in the rack available to you. And it's, <clears throat> since we're on page one of, um, we're on the first page of this letter, that is, they have a few editorial notes, which I think are instructive. Paul probably was arrested sometime after writing 1 Timothy. That is, he was arrested over and over and over. But this was the last time. Paul probably was arrested sometime after writing 1 Timothy and Titus, so he wrote his second letter to Timothy from Rome, where he was a prisoner, and in this letter, Paul seems to know that he will never be released from prison and that he will soon die. And this is why he's writing. He has some last things to say to Timothy, and by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we have those same words for us. What do you say when it's your last chance to say it? Reminds me of what we've seen this last week, that Billy Graham has gone home to his homecoming. I'm sure he was eager to reunite with the many people who are in heaven because of his willingness to speak forth the gospel clearly. And... Um, there were times when, as, as Billy Graham aged, that he would go around from city to city, and he knew this would be the last time I'm going to be in this city. So it's interesting to see and hear what people have to say. When the words left, they have a few. Now, let's read, starting in verse 3. We'll get a little background about Timothy. And then these three words, fan into flame, you will see in verse 6. And then... We'll carry the chapter, not all the way through, but at least to the end of that particular section. Here we go. Verse 3, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. And we don't know the specifics of what was going on in Timothy's life. But Paul was so close to him, like a father to him, and uh, certainly a mentor. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Did Timothy have some doubts? Did he have some timidity? Did Paul need to say, hey, it's the real deal. You really got it. And you, and you, you, you heard about it since you were young. But when God entered your life, this was for sure. Don't doubt that. And then he says in verse 6, For this reason, I remind you to say the next three words with me. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, gives us love, gives us self-discipline. 
So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. And that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Fan into flame. Timothy, this is something you need to do. And I believe it's something we need to do. Keep doing or get doing. So really, there's just two things I want to say today. And they're both on your outline. But also there's a, a place to give you a, a chance for a little bit of this background information about this word, fan into flame. Now, I think maybe the best way for me to explain that would be to um, suggest what if you're cooking your favorite recipe and it calls for a cup of sugar and you only have a quarter cup of sugar. So like you are deficient. So you don't have time to run to the store. Uh, so what do you do? You go next door, don't you? I hope you do. I hope you know your neighbors well enough that you can go next door and say, hey, can I borrow a cup of sugar? And if you don't, get to know your neighbors. In fact, one of the best way to get to know your neighbors is to admit that you're lacking something. Now. Don't do it all the time and be a pest. That's probably not a good idea. But you know, we are so self-sufficient. We don't need anyone else. Just hit the button on the garage door opener and pull the car in and close the door and keep in your own little world. That's very tempting for us in our day and age. So anyway, you need a cup of sugar or at least three quarters of a cup of sugar. <clears throat> you go next door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, could you loan me a cup of sugar. Now, how do you transport the sugar back home? Do you say, could I have a cup of sugar, please? That's probably not going to work too well. I, I guess you could get most of it. How, how are you going to open the, your door? That's what I want to know, you know. So you, maybe you bring your cup measure next door. Or maybe better might be just bring a little baggie and then let them put it in. So somehow you need to get the sugar back home, right? And then you can cook your recipe and enjoy your food. Of course, you know, um, every time you turn on the oven, you're lighting a fire. Every time you turn on the stove, you're lighting a fire. We take fire so for granted. Strike a match, 
hit a button on a lighter. In fact, have you ever thought, how many times a day do you light a fire? Probably a lot more than you realize. It's been cold, you adjust the thermostat. At my house, that kicks in the gas heater. And when you take a shower, you want the water to be warm. There's the water heater. And when you do the laundry, well, let's see, the washing machine uses hot water, but the, it's a gas dryer, so all these things have flames. You go in the backyard to grill, and you turn on the propane, and the fire comes up. So we, we, we take fire so for granted. But what if you're cooking your favorite recipe, and what you lack is the fire? Back in those days, you tried to keep the fire going, but if your fire went out, you don't have a lighter. You don't have matches. You might have two flint rocks and a little bit of flammable material, but that's gonna take way too long. So you go next door to get, can I have some fire, please? Now, how do you carry that home? Certainly not like this, but this is what I found so interesting by, about the background of this word. Because I never thought about it before. How do you transport fire? Do you take a tree branch with you and stick it in their fireplace and then run home with all the sparks and smoke going everywhere? Probably not. You would say, candle. No, not in first century Palestine. No, they didn't have candles. They had oil lamps. So maybe there would be a way to stick the wick in there. But actually, this is what I found out, that if you transported fire, what you got from your neighbor or from whomever was an, a glowing ember. And I have my hands out. And you'd put it in either a metal or earthenware container. And you bring that glowing ember home, put it in your little outdoor cook oven or wherever this flame is. But it's not a flame yet. You, if you wanted fire and you didn't have any, you get it in, not in flaming form, but in ember form. It's, it's glowing, it's smoldering, but you have to fan it into flame. That's what I hadn't thought of before. And it brings up, now with that background information, let me say two important things from this passage about us being on fire. Number one, Two things you should do. You should realize how precious it is. We don't think about this. Our stove lights, the heater comes on. You get in your car and turn the ignition key and the engine fires up, literally there's fire going on in there. Okay, now I know that many of our appliances now use other forms of energy, but it, you have to have that heat coming from somewhere. Whether it's a live flame or electrical, I, but what I'm saying is, have we forgotten? 
have we ever stopped to realize how precious this commodity is? Maybe the last time you thought about it was um, when you saw Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. You remember how his FedEx plane was crashed into the ocean and he alone was survived on some deserted island and all the things that he had to pull together to survive. Shelter, you have to have shelter. And uh, food and water, you have to have food and water. And you know, psychologically and, and, and spiritually, you need companionship. So he had that picture of Helen Hunt there, or whatever her name was in the film. But you know, you need someone physically there. Someone you can talk to. And so you remember he had that person in the form of a volleyball, right? And if I remember the movie right, it's while he was, well, there's, there's one other thing you need, at least one other, and that is fire. Oh, he got tired of eating all those raw little critters he could find. Uh, and so while he's trying so hard, I, I, in, a, in the movie, I'm not sure, I think it's probably a period of days, to make fire, uh, he cuts his hand and he picks up the volleyball and throws it, and that's how the volleyball gets a face from his bloody handprint. And of course, his companion also had a name, right? And that name was Wilson. Wilson. So here he is trying to make fire and uh, with Wilson as his companion looking on. There's a scene actually where you can see it says Wilson. There we go. Okay, there's Wilson. And again, I don't know. This is when we realize, you know, if you had to come up with fire, maybe some of you learned this in scouting, but probably you had some uh, nice tools to help you. But uh, over a period of time now, he's struggling and working, maybe get a little bit of smoke, and he finally figures out, you know, there's not enough airflow. I mean, it's, it's actually a bit ponderous in the movie, but it makes the point how important it is. And before long, whew, finally it bursts into flame, and there's this huge celebration. There's this breakthrough. Well, I did it. Fire. And he built this huge bonfire. Yeah, have we forgotten just how precious it is? And how long was he on that island? Like four years. And I guess I'm giving away the movie now, but if you haven't seen it by now, I'm gonna tell you anyway, he survives. But, but a part of what is just so hard to deal with, he comes back after barely surviving for four years. And life has just gone on without him. And uh, people, you know, they celebrate him a little bit. It's just, it is so hard. And then there's the scene in the movie where he's, he's rescued and he's in a hotel room and he has this lighter and he just keeps flicking the flame off and on over and over, just thinking, oh my gosh, how hard I had to work for days to have something we don't even think about until someone stops and says, Timothy, 
what you were given was a precious gift. Don't let that smoldering ember die out. Now, let me read the verse again. Let's put this first point up there. Realize how precious it is. I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God. It's a precious gift. And we just sometimes, as believers, it's been, it's been years, it's been decades, and we no longer think about the preciousness of fire. We just flick the switch anytime we want, and there it is. And, but, but the gifts that God gives is often not in flaming form, although there was the day of Pentecost, but it's more often in smoldering form. And we have to fan it into flame. The gift of salvation. He gave you that gift, but is it dying out? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Inside your heart, guiding, nudging, leading. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. That special spiritual ability that God gave to you, probably multiple ones of them, for you, to, for you to use in the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ? Are you, are you fanning it into flame? Or has that little ember just cooled off? So the first thing is, let's just never forget. Let's never forget. I think that's one of the reasons why we have communion every Sunday. Let's never forget how precious the gift is. That's number one. I wanted to say that. It's something we have to fan into flame. Number two. So it's not just that we realize how precious it is, but we have to actualize the power it gives. It doesn't necessarily just happen by itself. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to do something here. You have to contribute. You have to fan it. It will flame. You don't make the flame. God gives it to you as a gift, but you have to fan the flame, fan it into flame. And we might ask the question, well, how do we do that? Now, Again, I don't know how um, apt you are at building fires. We had a Franklin stove for a while. When we first uh, uh, moved into our house, previous owner had built on an addition. And although there was uh, forced air gas heating in the older part of the house, they just put a Franklin stove in the corner of the addition of the house. It really wasn't adequate. And, but we had it for many years, and it was kind of fun to light the fire. But I noticed whenever I closed the door, the fire would quickly die down. We had to leave it open a little bit. Now, I did have an extra little lever there for, I'm going to call it the damper. I'm not sure that's the exact right word. But in other words, the air has to get in somehow. And it was supposed to be you adjust this lever. But whoever installed it didn't realize there was two possible uh, entry ports for the air. One was at the bottom if you had a basement intake. One was on the side if you had a single story intake. They set that Franklin stove 
on the ground without realizing it was set up for a basement air intake. So no matter how much I move that lever, the, the um, tube, tunnel, pipe, whatever the word is, the in, intake had a cap on it. And so I learned how to, I, I eventually bought a bellows and just kept <laughs> trying to keep that fire going. When I finally read the directions, this was like years later, I'm telling you. <laughs> Take the cap off the pipe and it worked like a charm. If you have to have air coming in. There's things you have to do to actualize the power that's there. And how do you do that? How do you fan into flame something that's just smoldering? If you had some glowing embers and you wanted to turn them into raging fire, how do you get from the one to the other? Actually, I did buy a bellows and it worked very nicely. It especially worked nicely once I fixed the furnace so it would operate correctly. But this is what Paul is telling <clears throat> Timothy. You've got to fan it. You've got to or like um, Tom Hanks did, you had to <laughs> blow on it. So I'm asking the question, what do we have to do to get our fires going? I think there's two basic answers. You have to add fuel. You have to keep putting logs on the fire. You have to be putting into your mind that which will burn, spiritually speaking. And I'm just thinking, how much, all right, how much TV have I watched it during the Olympics? I don't know. Uh, let's just say hours. I've also slept through a bunch of it, but <laughs> that's my problem. Hours, okay. And so when you think about the social media and all the television and just, you know, all the stuff you have to do for work, all the stuff you have to do, how many spiritual logs, how much scripture have you inputted into your mind? Whether it's by reading it or um, uh, listening to worship music or teaching audios or right now media. I mean, there's lots of multiple ways. I'm not trying to confine you to my favorite way of getting spiritual input. I'm just saying if you're not constantly adding logs, spiritual truth to your brain, there won't be enough fuel to burn. Now, that doesn't mean you have to spend 12 hours a day reading the Bible. You don't spend 12 hours a day eating food. But most of you couldn't miss a meal without complaining about it. <laughs> I know sometimes you have for whatever reason, but, oh, I'm starving. So you've got to have that spiritual input, but we can get numb to that. We can go so long without uh, having that input that we're starving ourselves. But even with the fuel, here's the second thing. 
So one is what comes into your brain. But I'm, I'm looking at Tom Hanks, <laughs> trying to fan it into flame. <laughs> that, sometimes I think it's what comes out of our mouths that also makes a difference. What comes into my brain and what comes out of my mouth. So notice Paul says, fan it into flame, Timothy. Don't be ashamed to talk about what God has done. So how many conversations? So number one, conversations with God. Are we praying to him? Are we confessing our sins? And then the kind of conversations we have each other, building each other, I don't mean just us, but wherever you are. Having those conversations, saying those words that help fan into flame. Last night, we, Linda and I flew back from Phoenix and the flight was completely full. She always sits on the aisle and I take the middle seat and we hope we have an empty seat next to us kind of spread out and feel more comfortable. But we knew someone was going to sit there. And um, the most delightful lady sat down. And from takeoff to landing, of course, it's only 70 minutes, we had the most delightful conversation. And it turned to spiritual things. She has a history, and she shared some of hers. We shared ours. And it was just, both of us felt like this was a gift because we're willing to talk about what matters most. How are you doing? When was the last time you felt like you're on fire? Have you been adding the fuel? Have you been in it into life? And if you have lost some fire, or maybe not sure you ever had it, would you be willing to ask the neighbor? For God is not far from you. I wanted to tell you a funny story. Many years ago, when microwaves were just coming out, everyone, most people had one, but Linda and I, we were holdouts. We don't need this fast stuff. You know, we're not going to live the fast pace so we didn't ever get a microwave. But there are times when... Um, you know, you forget to thaw out something. And so at that point, we were in a um, attached dwelling with one other neighbor, with their neighbors all around. But <clears throat> the neighbors next door was this retired couple and very nice. And we would often borrow things. So we, in fact, it was kind of funny because they're the retired couple with the latest technology. They had the microwave. <laughs> we're the young couple and we're holding out. But there'd be a few times can we borrow your microwave for a minute? I don't think it happened too many times, but uh, we were still, we had our, what did we call it? It was like a toaster oven kind of thing. That was good enough for us. But it happened enough times. Could we borrow your microwave for a minute? That um, one day they brought over a big box. I don't even think there was an occasion, but they just were tickled. They had this big gift and we opened it up they gave us a microwave. <laughs> we joined the revolution. Couldn't live without it anymore. I, mean, they, I don't think they felt obligated. I think they just felt tickled. Let's do something for the young'uns next door, you know. They can't afford it. We can. We'll give it to them. I, that, that was so fun. The next day I went over and I said, hey, can I borrow your car for a few minutes? <laughs> 
I didn't say that. Come on, I didn't say that. But we're just afraid to ask. Do you know, the product we have, if Christianity was marketed like a product, you know, if you went to the store and you wanted to buy something that came in a box like this, you wouldn't buy it. You know, it would have all kinds of marketing on it. So I just made a list on the back here. What if Christianity came in a box like this? How, how could we market it? Live forever. Get a fresh start. Experience unconditional love. Your life will have meaning, hope, and courage to face the future. Your past wrongs wiped out. Wake up every day with purpose. Experience forgiveness. Have a friend for life and eternity. No expiration date. And best of all, it's free. Is there anything better than real faith? You can't improve on that. And if you don't have it, knock on heaven's door and say, can I? Because he will give it. And if you have it, fan that gift into flame. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you just remembering again how precious and powerful is your gracious gift. You know, Lord, we, we were just so tickled to think our neighbors would care about us so much that they would give us a, something special. And how can we think of a comparison to what you've done for us? So, Lord, as we uh, take this bread and this cup, as we remember the cost, the preciousness of the gift of salvation, we just say, Lord, give me another ember to fan into flame. Amen. on the parade route and I'm saying you're on fire you're on fire you're on fire <laughs> <laughs>